Good morning. Welcome to Ask a Leader. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba. It's the 20, 2017 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, the theme will be the theater of disorientation that we're all witnessing at the Trump Tower this fall season into the winter. We're calling it the Theater of Disorientation, and it'll include Claire Trevor School of the Arts Department Director Gary Busby and School of Social Ecology Professor Peter Ditto. It's the last show before, well, we drop straight into uncharted territory. We'll be right back after just a little tiny break longer. Thank you for staying with us, everyone. My guests for the entire hour, as I said, are Claire Trevor School of the Arts, Professor Gary Busby, Psychology and Social Behavior, Professor Peter Ditto. A few words about each one of these UCI faculty. Gary Busby is the Chair and Producing Arts Director at the Claire Trevor School of the Arts Drama Department. His theatrical credits span both the musical theater and operatic genres, from Stephen Schwartz's Godspell to Igor Stravinsky's The Rake's Progress. Among the productions he's brought to UCI's stages are Gugi Wathiango's The Trial of Dedan Kimati, Tony Kushner's Angels in America Part One, Naomi Wallace's The Liquid Plain, and Bruce Norris's Clyburn Park. As conductor, Gary Busby has toured throughout Europe and South America. Stateside, he was the music director at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, the Arc Theater in L.A. With students in leading roles on Broadway and national tours, he is sought at, out as a vocal coach, singing director, and clinician, and a frequent master class teacher in the Southern California region. He completed his bachelor's degree in music from Chapman University and his master's and Ph.D. in conducting from UCLA's Herb Alpert School of Music. Prior to joining UCI, Gary Busby had appointments at the School of Theater, Film, and Television at UCLA, as well as the Thornton School of Music at USC. The themes for this season's Claire Trevor School of the Arts performances is the other. It investigates themes relevant to this past campaign season, religious persecution and genocide, castigation of physical difference, interpersonal alienation, and xenophobia. It was like a whole rerun in the last 18 months. My next guest is Peter Ditto. A psych- he is a UCI psychology and social behavior professor investigating motivated moral reasoning, partisan political bias, as well as how people selectively recruit general principles and factual beliefs to support desired moral conclusions. His research focuses on what he calls, and I'm quoting, hot cognition. It's the interface between passion and reason. Uh, passion was the theme of last year's Clare School of the Arts. So, and how our motivations and emotions shape and even bias our social, moral, political, medical, and legal judgments. He directs the Hot Cognition Lab and is also mining the, running the yourmorals.org data collection website. He completed his BA in psychology at UCLA and both his master's and PhD in psychology at Princeton University. After appointments at the University of Michigan and Kent State, Peter Ditto joined UCI in 1997. With a distinguished and extensive roster of publications and presentations, Peter Ditto previously was on this show talking about his definitive work entitled, quote, Conservatives Report, But Liberals Display 
greater happiness, end of quote of the article's title. Gary Busby, Peter Ditto are a formidable lineup to take on the theater staged intentionally or unintentionally on New York City's Fifth Avenue in the Trump Tower. If we follow plan, they'll steer us toward the shiny objects that do warrant our attention as well as consider what uh, what staging signals. They all join me in studio. Welcome back, both of you, Gary Busby and Peter Ditto, to Ask a Leader. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Good to have you. I've been I've been turning this one over ever since, and I'll we'll get to him in specific later on. But I think once I saw Al Gore leave the Trump Tower, ashen face, I thought, "Wow, this this is this is an interesting project." We ought, and we ought to all of us pay close attention to every single detail, every nuance that and signal that's given away. So we're going to talk about that. Well, let's start. Peter Ditto and Gary Busby, with what media are you two consuming? So we know your basis of evaluation here. This well, I, I, you know, I try to watch a lot of uh, media because of my interest in the way people process information, uh, you know, in a biased fashion. So I watch, you know, good old-fashioned MSNBC, the New York Times. I watch Fox News. Uh, you know, I have my social media feed with my... Facebook, all my high school friends who uh, <laughs> feed you, you know, who you know, and and my college uh, colleagues all over the country, so I get a good mix of, of I think, um, uh, of the whole range of opinion out there. Okay, and Thank similarly, you. I'm Gary? I'm reading the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, working, uh, looking at all of the things that uh, the Democrat Democracy Now and things like that are putting out. I'm also concerned. Uh, with it's been interesting to me to watch how Fox News is actually pulling away a little bit from DJT, and I think that's an important piece of the project uh, because you know it's one thing to gain um, viewership; it's another thing to sort of give assent to what could possibly be happening here. So, okay, pulling back is that what you're you're seeing them pulling back a bit, Peter? Fox, well you. You know, Trump has split the Republican Party and kind of interesting. They're new fishers. It was always very easy when I thought about the political world before. It was kind of a left-right schism, and it was pretty clean. Uh, now you've got a different sort of uh, fault line in there with, with Trump, and you see every once in a while that Fox, which can be very traditionally conservative, pulling away from him, question him, lots of uh, Republicans doing the same, and it, it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. But let's let's consider though that if Breitbart News is the the so-called propaganda machine for the Trump administration for the campaign moving in Trump administration, does that change what Fox uh, is tasked to doing? And that that Roger Ailes is now whispering into Trump's ear off of that network instead from that network. Well, you know, I I think you can look at it a couple of different ways. At a certain point, people have. Um, their paycheck version of themselves and then at a certain level I think that there's a place where even people on on the Fox News side who are probably you know equally good Americans as everyone else uh, have to at a certain point say this has gone too far and I think there's a little bit of that it's what Peter was talking about there, it isn't just a left-right schism anymore I mean the the Republican Party is fractured into a million pieces 
And um, I think that's going to uh, really affect his ability to govern ultimately because there are going to be people who cannot side with him unless they just completely give up their moral compass. And I think that's what, what we're all going to be looking at. Um, and I think it also takes place uh, in the news as well. I mean, who was the, uh, I can't remember the name of the newscaster who castigated Trump about taking on the CNN guy. Yes, Joe, Joe Costa. Yeah, Joe Costa, that thinks. And, you know, I mean, I think that's, an, uh, that's indicative of the fact that people are beginning to make their points known because in the media, the the fact that the American media supposedly is free, that's what, it, what we have to look at. I mean, I think people who respect that and are, have come into the media for that, for the ability to, to make points about the political process freely, and, and as it's, they are being sort of indicated that that is no longer appropriate from this administration or this incoming administration, that's what's going to start to make waves, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I think what people forget about uh, you know, American politics, it's, it's coalitional, like all politics are. There's, there isn't just a Republican Party and a Democratic Party. There are coalitions within those. That So the conservative movements always had this kind of social conservative, uh, foreign policy conservative, economic conservatives. They, all, they don't always agree on everything, but they've found some common ground together. And so what Trump has to do is maintain a lot of his power comes from this alt-right, Breitbart, far-right, kind of part but that's only a very small part of their ruling coalition and he's got this task of trying to keep them in 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 check and they're going to uh, you know push him in various ways and then there's kind of a standard republican group that I think Fox News represents fairly well except for Hannity and and some of the some of the other more more far right group and but and they're going to rebel when he says some of the things that he says that are obviously untrue or or you know offensive in various ways then um, he's going to he's going to have to hold them together and hold this all right together and it's going to be a, a real balancing act for him but <laughs> if anybody can do it uh, you know, Trump's got the flexibility to, you know, in the way he speaks and acts to do that. And it seems like that the reason that that's sort of looming right now is that there, the reports up, right up until this hour are there's still a whole lack of clarity. What kind of policy? That I mean, this guy ran without really any policy sorts of fill-ins, and now it's just still not clear what where he's going with. Name your topics. Well, you know, I think I think for he, trade. absolutely. I mean, uh, yes, and I also think that. That's precisely we're we're looking at the the reason that someone like this this president elect could be elected is there's it's twofold as I see it partially because the country always zigzags you know we had our first African American president who is basically a centrist I mean you know he's probably no more to the left than Eisenhower was you know Obama and um, but the country has been fed via Fox News and the conservative factions that they are w worse off than they were eight years ago. And people, I think, need to rebalance and, and have, a, have, a, have a look at the other side of the spectrum. And they don't necessarily understand that they are better off today than they were before because of the fact that there are more people seated at the table. And that is a problem for the Middle West and the South and, 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 and traditionally, uh, basically, white-interested people. 
And I think that issue is the driving force behind what got Trump elected because ultimately Hillary, you know, to go from an African-American president to a female president, it was too consistent. It would have been two consecutive administrations that would have gone that route. And I don't think the middle of the, of the country was ready for that Holding at up. this point. Okay, I, I want to <coughs> start with the, some of the optics that I thought were really quite extraordinary. And, and I guess we'll let Gary start with this because of his involvement in producing sets and all that. So if you could comment on the setting, the towering Trump Tower on New York's Fifth Avenue, is it's an unprecedented kind of a locale. A, st a stage setting, and it's, uh, uh, I would call, a hulking and opulent kind of place we've got. And I've noticed now there's the freight elevator. You can tell from the, the backdrop of, you know, people coming and going uh, there upstairs. And, and there's the sort of more, you know, luxurious, lavish. the more lavish, you know, passenger uh, elevator. So it's a, it's a very gilded setting with the all the color of the, the, the amber marble backdrops and the warm coloring light. I, what are you impressed by with this stage set? Well, it, it represents what is, what, and I think it's what Trump has sort of dialed into. He is the epitome of what uh, America, is that part of the American dream. You know, that um, ideally we can all have that. That can be ours. And I think he's showing that by showing that kind of opulence, he's appealing to a part of the American psyche that says, this is what I want for myself, and this is the guy who's going to give it to me. <clears throat> That's not based in any kind of reality, but again, theater is not reality. Theater is a portion of reality, and uh, it's meant to manipulate us, to manipulate our feelings, and that's what I think uh, he has done quite well. I mean, all of that opulence is part of what the greed of American consumerism and what that bring what that means to people who don't have that's that's the issue to me it's showing people what this this is what could be yours I mean it, it's that phony dream you know it's fool's gold and um, I think that's a big piece of the process what do you think Peter I Peter mean, yeah yeah so I'll give you my my take on this and it kind of Again, I'm a, psych the doctor I'm a psychologist, this, and I, so yeah. I go back. I don't think you can understand Trump unless you think about dominance and its role in primate behavior. Okay. So this is so we, you know, all primates are hierarchical. Right? Somebody becomes the leader. Uh, they, they we line themselves up, and there's two different ways that 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 psychologists and anthropologists have decided we do this. One is dominance. Uh, so the, the, the animal that's the biggest, the strongest, the one that, you know, that just sort of asserts themselves, they, they, that's one way to get power. The other way to get power is prestige. So if there's certain animals that know how to do certain things, and then you can gain special access and power because you sort of know certain uh, tricks. All those things are amplified in humans, right? So we, the, but the same things are going on, dominance and prestige. And, and liberals tend to go more a little bit more for prestige, the people who sort of know things about something. Wonking you know, their way through. The wonks, right? So that we, we, we tend to drift toward them. The uh, conservatives tend to drift toward dominance. And Donald Trump is just absolute, pure dominance. Mm -hmm. So the towers, the opulence, the, the wealth, it's like, I have power, I'm the best, I'm the biggest. But even interpersonally, you see that he doesn't, all, his, his, all of his power comes from the fact that he just asserts that he is in charge. And if you watch him argue about things, he doesn't, 
He doesn't really justify his opinions. He simply asserts them, mm-hmm. and he challenges people. If you watch those those Democrat, I mean those Republican debates, they were pure dominance contents. They were just, you know, people would would challenge Donald Trump, and he simply wouldn't give in. It doesn't matter. You can sort of confront him with things that are obviously untrue, and he'll simply say, "No, they're not." And unless you can break that, it's very hard. And so, it, it you know, he, that's his power it comes from this just sheer dominance of everything. And that's his, you can see the way he, he uh, uh, belittled Mitt Romney, brought him in and sort of shamed him and showed him who was in charge. And we're going to talk about all the guests that yeah, I can think of. So, he can't yeah. let anything go. He has to be in, he has to dominate. He has to say, I'm no, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. And that's, and the, the last thing about dominance though, and all those things is it's not about animals don't become the big dominant animal because they beat everybody up and they fight everybody they display they mm-hmm. stop fights by showing them that they're the toughest they dare people and that's what so all this this performance it's a dominance performance it's look how much money i have look how much power i have look how much everybody sort of defers to me and that's you you have to display and put on this theater right so that people won't challenge you and, and that's really where dominance comes from. It's this, this kind of sense of I'm the best and I have to display all this. So the performance and the psychology are all intimately wrapped up together. Well, I wonder what happens when enough people stop buying into the act. I mean, I think that's what that's what we're really going to be trying to see. Not the shoe d- drop, <laughs> but the mask drops. Well, when enough people say, you know what, this is BS, you know, that isn't true, and that there's a critical mass of people who sort of stop paying attention to the beating of the chest mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. I mean, I think, I think that's what we're really, that's really the interesting part, because we can, everything that, if we're just talking about the theater of what has happened so far, we're just, it's, um, it's observing something that has already happened. The interesting thing, I think, is what Peter's talking about is, where, at what point does the critical mass of the American populace sort of wake up to itself and go, the emperor has no clothes, you know? I mean, right? That's exactly right. I mean, and and that's part and parcel of our our education system. I think, you know, the dumbing down of the American public has been at to the advantage of this dominance culture because you don't have to have actual answers. You just have to be able to display that you can be in charge. I mean, do you think that's right? Yeah, I think that's the the hollowness of it. Right. Ultimately, is the is, is the display all the trappings of power and dis- making decisions. Not that sort of started with George W. Bush. He would always talk about how he was a decision maker. Didn't there was never about the I'm quality the of the decision. I'm yeah. the decider. It was like I made a decision. It was a really tough decision. It was all it's kind of content free. All about you know I'm the one that's in charge. Plan free, consequence free, that kind of thing. Well, Gary, I'm not going to let you change the whole show. I've got I really okay. I want I want us to look at those shiny objects that are being presented and what and what's happened because there it is in real time still happening. Oh, of course. And so an, an agenda is sort of getting codified as this whole pageant is rolling out there. So let's let's witness then the that you were talking about the people that are coming in. I mentioned Al Gore coming in. And Mitt Romney was brought in for show. So, and we have the phone call coming in from the Taiwanese president. And so there's the invited guest for, for show. And the most recent one was Martin Luther King III's appearance yesterday, a hastily arranged meeting so that it could, this was a shiny object, uh, an ebony object to present amidst the whole Twitter feud over whether uh, 
John Lewis is entitled to a civil rights mantle of, mm-hmm. and an authority that Donald Trump is trying to dismantle in going into this transition. Yeah, I mean... Uh, so which ones were you watching coming in and out? That, what well, I think all of signal? those, you know, and you sort of, I mean, I don't know, you're watching Mitt Romney come in and, and you kind of think as if this is really going to go anywhere well, we at the first part we wondered. Well, you wonder, but and it was a split decision. We could hear about the the abs- background. Yeah, and I think it also plays into the fact that people will seek out their fifteen minutes of fame, even to their own detriment. I mean, if you think about Martin Luther King the Third, um, and why would he go against his his father's w- wisdom and mission? for his 15 minutes of fame. You know what I mean? Like, well, I'm not sure. I think Peter's talking, though, about, you know, that if a president-elect calls on you, I mean, it's back to the power thing, I think. I don't think Martin think Luther King III, no, you think, think you, you can. You, I think you can. I'm not sure you can turn down an invitation. Oh, I think you can. You, if, okay. the Ra- if the Rockettes can. Well, that's for the performance, <laughs> for the, the <laughs> but I mean, meeting. But, okay. but you understand? I think, I, I think right. at a certain point, if you have your own moral compass set up where you need it to be, and you aren't playing the political game. See, if you have no, if there's no traction for you there. He's a different guest than the others. Right. Does that make sense? So maybe that's the problem then. There, the power was part of the steady stream of everybody coming in, so it made it more difficult for him. I mean, not w- you know, none of us are in his mind, so nope. we can't understand why that choice was made. We can postulate and wonder about it, but it's not that we can actually, he didn't tell any of the three of us sitting in this room, no. why he chose to show up there. So, the way I would describe it is that, and this isn't doesn't just start with Donald Trump. I think Republicans have done this effectively for long. They they play chicken. Um, yeah. So they're they're willing to take Donald Trump in particular is willing to take everything, push it as far as it can be pushed, uh, to the point where it might break the republic and other people have to either bow either at the pole out of the way or crash into it and let everything crumble and so yeah people want to owe to to show appropriate respect to presidents uh you know they they have those feelings that boy there are certain things that should be done boy maybe we shouldn't question the legitimacy of an election you know but that really could have these detrimental effects but where donald trump's willing to push those things right to the edge and make somebody give up right that's that's the power play right and makes makes people say well for the good of the nation i'm going to back away or you know maybe it's not that quite that explicit but they they, they back down and he's if, as long as he's willing to push that power and nobody will either take it to the brink or you know force him somehow to to to, to apologize or say he was wrong you know that that's what that, that's how you break the dominance and he doesn't he's very good at, at sort of challenging that and, and and showing his power and making other people take fairly extreme measures to to you know, challenge that power again. Martin Luther King, right? He could have done that and said, "Look, I'm not going." Or you know, John Lewis, who took a lot, I'm sure it took a, a lot of thought for him to decide to say what he said, decide yeah. to to uh, not attend the the inauguration. And uh, you know, there's real consequences for that. I think there's consequences in the long term for that kind of thing. Or and that's what so Donald long-term. that's what Donald Trump forces people into. I think Elizabeth Warren is going to be the one to watch in this regard. 
how 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 she continues to push against Trump and what that what that that power play is going to be because I don't I don't actually think I mean I don't know Elizabeth Warren personally but I mean you she seems to be strong enough in her own sense of self and not need to participate in this piece of the governance so and this piece of the theater so I, I think that's going to be very interesting to see for those of you who've just joined us my guests are Claire Trevor School of the Arts drama director Gary Busby and social psychologist Peter Ditto. We are talking about the Trump transition in the, the, the theater of disorientation around the Trump Tower, mainly focusing on that setting because so much is happening right there. And we're talking about the guests that have come through. Um, let me see. Robert Kennedy Jr. came in there, and I want you to... Uh, you could talk about his appearance, at, and it's not clear whether his fetish. Of, I'm I'm sorry, I'm calling it that because it's not a scientific base. That, uh, his uh, vaccine campaign uh, discouraging certain vaccines. I want you to talk specifically about the particular meeting with the tech titans in, on December 14th, and what you took away from those optics. Wow. Um. I mean, some of it is genuine. I mean, I, I assume that Trump, uh, uh, President-elect Trump, is is trying to do real business and real deal. I mean, the one thing he does like to do is deals. And so you can see bringing in these people, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he is trying to figure out ways to work with them. It's also conveniently, again, uh, th this optics of power of bringing in everybody to his they come to his space. They sit in his space. He's obviously in charge as the president-elect, and he shows that he has power over those those people. But I think you know he's also smart enough to realize that that you can see that the technological aspects that are just wrapped in this presidency, uh, this cyber security, uh, but also social media. And that is a you know, completely different way of communicating uh, now. And so he, I'm sure he wants to be involved with those people. He wants to have some whatever control that he uh, can get over those people or just a sense of you know, what deals can be made with those people. So, I mean, I, Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, Peter. Because of course we're not in the we're not in the room to hear the conversations. That's right. No, and the press was allowed to leave shortly after mm -hmm. the the optics that were were sort of recorded and then were leaving. Right, exactly. And that's another big piece of it. Whereas uh, that is not a his that's not historical precedent. You know, the press has been sort of usually allowed, except for in very high level meetings, to be present to sort of record and describe how things have interacted. I also think that Peter's right. I mean, you call people to you, and there's always the lure of what you can give as the head of the government. You can provide this, that, and the other thing, make p pave the way easy. I mean, he's, you know, the sort of uh, the deal maker deluxe at this point. What actually he is able to do, and what he will come through with, ha if you look at historical behavior. There's a lot of promises with this individual that don't get realized. And I think that's an important piece. And I think really intelligent business people, tech people, are aware that it's a dicey um, 
it's a dicey slope that they're on, you know, a slippery slope that they're on because of the fact that he doesn't have a history of follow-through and clean behavior. And I think that's one of the things that has worried so many people, whether, whether you buy into the sort of idea that this is basically big business or not, you know, follow-through and consistency and all of those things, that's, what's, that's why the constant thing of shiny objects and the refuting of, of stuff is happening because it diverts our attention and we don't sort of go after the truth. I, actually, and I want Peter to talk about that. That's a lot of your hot cognition is while we're, we're getting these half-truths or falsehoods at us, we, we're sort of what that does to us psychologically while we're trying to understand the reality of the, the new presidency. Yeah, I mean, so... A general topic. <laughs> so this has been going on forever. I mean, um, so what I study is really motivated reasoning. So the way that people be- come to believe what they want to believe, that they're more likely to accept information that tells them something they want to believe than information that doesn't. You can find holes in information that that doesn't, you know, the, uh, information that sort of tells you what you want to believe, you kind of accept, right? And And that's been just in and politics has been inundated in that forever we've had two different sides that have different sets of facts uh you know for a long time global warming being kind of the classic example of two different mm-hmm. sets of factual beliefs that people have but we have them about the economy and everything else trump is the master of that he's really doubling down on that and in a lot of ways he's you know he's like human clickbait um, you know, he says the most extreme. He he really embodies the internet culture. So he's not interested in detail. He he'll make the most extreme statement out there, and uh, you know, with no nuance, no context. Uh, and well, actually, it's, well, I don't want to mention Peter and, and Gary can talk about this too in terms of a script. But when I when I followed closely, the the language that was used in the press conference, and I know we, we left the tech titans. We're going to go back to them later on with some other optics. But so with that press conference, such that it was, there were it was rich in ad- adjectives, and there were a paucity of verbs in there. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that was something you sort of registered. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're adjectives you know, only, it's hard to follow what that means. Sure. Kind of? You know, it's really, really wonderful and it's really, really great. And it's going to be, you know, best words. And uh, I mean, you know, for God's sake, it's just it's if you have if you're looking for any kind of hope of intellectual through line A, B to C to D, it's over. That's the piece of the puzzle that is so disconcerting, I think, to thinking people. But Peter's right. If you want to believe that this is the way it's going to be, this is going to make it better, you don't hear that. Uh, the, the, there's a way in which all of those adjectives sort of soothe people and, and, you know, and, uh, and lull them into obeisance, really. I mean, is that... Sure. I mean, I think if people... <clears throat> You know, if you tell people something, you know, that, that, that this economic policy is not going to work or here's the problems, people want to know well, why, what's going on. Uh, you know, tell me the details. I don't understand. If you tell them here, everything's great. Here's your great. The things that you believe are really the right things. They don't need a lot of detail. They just sort of suck it up, uh, soak it up, really, and, uh, you know, absorb it. And everybody, both sides do this. But, uh, uh, again, people get told what they want to believe. And they accept it. But Trump's really good at it. And he's the things that are really dangerous is the way 
how effective he is in some ways. So the one thing that he's trying to do is undermine trust in the media, trust in the mainstream media. Once, if you can do that, if you can if you can take that media down, then anything they say can just be well. You know, I know that they're telling you all these details about Russia or whatever, but then none of that's true. Well, you don't need to happened. refute it point he by point. He absolutely executed that step. I'm concerned that there may be a point of no return with conflating what CNN did with what BuzzFeed did last week yeah. with the dossier. And, and the whole so the I, fake I news. I think that's going to be very hard to walk back that line that was drawn there. Yeah, they've sort of taken over the fake news idea, which is, it, to me, it, it's it's becoming this completely hollow phrase like judicial activism. Yeah, so judicial <laughs> yeah, activist is, yeah. is means a judge is doing something you don't like. And that it doesn't have any meaning. And fake news to them, to Trump, only has meaning in the sense that I don't like what you said, so it's, it's discrediting. fake. Yeah. And it's discrediting, and it's a real phenomenon that can be then sort of Usurped and, and 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 used in this, you know, deployed in this sort of weaponized way against people, and, and we saw it the response. Very confusing. The press did not. I mean, we didn't expect Breitbart with the the follow up question after CNN was uh, shot down, but I wouldn't expect Breitbart to sort of act in solidarity with the media in general. But the press, it as a group, did not do anything special when that special sort of advance attacking the, the media had occurred, which is, it's an unsettling thing for me as a consumer of, of media. Well, it gets back to, I think it gets back to business. I mean, ultimately... It was a deal. It's a deal. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the way I look at it. You know, people are going to have to figure out at some point whether they're in the media or not. I mean, it really going to be, it's going to be that network moment you know, I'm mad as hell, and I'm I'm not going to take it anymore. Uh, that you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, and we're that not there out. yet because uh, up until that point, um, people will follow along the w- and do what they're told. Again, how, do you behave out for your paycheck, or do you behave out of your moral compass? And that I think is what this administration is going to lead us toward, and, and almost everybody, you know, because that's what this kind of uh, separating people out does because you you know you, when you have this ability to when the, the what what Peter's talking about is this ultimate dominance is 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 this idea that there's a threat o- that is looming over you that your very livelihood and all of that stuff will be taken away from you or could be taken away from you and that becomes the point at which you like you have to throw down and say, look, you know, take it, take whatever you want, but here's where I stand. So, this is a little off topic from what I've got given <clears throat> you all to prepare for. But when Gary's talking about the moral compass, then we're we're getting not everywhere, but there are recurrent clarion warnings. This looks a little bit like a, a fascistic movement that occurred a hundred years ago, and so. Do is that fresh enough? And the clearing warnings are they in place, uh, credible and and word noteworthy enough for for us to have a chance to take the previous rollout of the, of the fascistic movements in the, from the twenties and thirties. Well, I should say in the thirties. Do is that Peter? Do you think a does that loom approximately enough? for that information to be noted because I mean, I'm, I'm thinking people who've been through these things, they're saying 
the 90 something woman I've met uh, the, that served in the French army in the, in the resistance, she says it does remind her of the, of the 30s. So it's, it's been identified, it's been labeled, but is that label going to take root with some honest examination of what's perpetrating? You, this is not people's strong suit psychologically, right? I mean, hindsight, yes, but people, it's, it, there's always the question, is this a fascistic government and going in a this terrible direction or are we just getting ahead of ourselves and exaggerating and it's really not you know, so nobody can know the future but the more, it's the moral compass thing it's that Gary's the, talking but about. i mean people it's just it's very hard for people to, to see these things we always want to see these things coming we always want to see uh and believe that we can see the the, the hitler uh as an infant or an adolescent or something and it's much it these things they creep up on you in ways i mean there are very bad signs to me about the way that donald trump is running his uh you know the, the media and and, and uh you know he he shows strong similarities to authoritarian leaders uh, around the world historically and affinities but, but he might not be really? and <laughs> that that's what people are struggling with right they don't want to nobody wants to run out of the the building uh, when they hear the fire alarm nobody wants to run out of the building you know saying fire 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 only to find out it was just an alarm right you look foolish and so i think a lot of people just you know, there's there's that there's that psychological pressure between. Oh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Maybe I'm just okay. sort of getting wow. exaggerated. And maybe I'm maybe I'm not. I mean, and it's it's right. It's hard to know ultimately. I don't like the signs of this, but I don't. Nobody yelled fire last Wednesday at the press conference, and there was there was a smoldering. Yes, and that, that that's you see that hesitance again. That that hesitance to really call. I mean, again, it's it's that almost that chicken game. It's here. I'm going to push this as far as I can. Trump, I can push this as far as I can push it, and I'm going to make you do something drastic in in response. And he he's. I mean, again, it's a performance. It's a it's a display of power and challenging somebody to to really take the the strong step of challenging him. And I, I just wanted to note as well when we talk about that press conference how important some uh, some details and I don't think they were reported per se but the first part of the actual back and the give and take with the journalists they were not miked the that was him maintaining power and I, I, maybe people notice that you know, here in the in the studio that there was also what was considered it's called like the laugh track equivalent yeah, there just, were supporters mm-hmm. in the press conference that were applauding and yelling and so that was that again is a point of no return in how business is conducted i don't know if you were struck by that at the time both of you yeah i mean Gary? I, I think that's the whole point i think that um the president-elect understands the theatricality and how to you know just the way a snake oil salesman understands how to to prey on people's desires and will have perhaps shills in an audience to sort of give assent to make it feel as if there is something that there is uh, motion forward there is there is belief in momentum yeah and I mean you know it, it's not that uh, it's not that this is that difficult to see what I think Peter's talking about is and I think he's right people don't necessarily want to believe that that we have dropped and fallen to this level because there's a i i mean i don't know i think that there's a general disdain for politics in in total 
that most politicians are presumed to be slippery when it comes to rigorous honesty. And so uh, that becomes, and all politicians, you know, the, the politifact thing, all politicians sort of stretch truth. All people in power need to sort of shift things to highlight the message that they want to give. But there comes a point when there's a complete separation of reality. And I think, for me, that's the place that we're at. We're at a complete fissure of what is actually happening in the real world and what's happening inside the mind of this person. And when, when truth is so malleable that you can say, oh, I never said that, and then people don't challenge it, that's the issue that we're talking about. And I think that's present in the, in the news conference, the press conference that you're talking about. And I want to say it, it, it had feed. It wasn't just in the moment, but afterward, if we measured the column inches, I don't know, column minutes uh, that, uh, of coverage, we, got, we, we keep hearing back about how that press conference went, what happened there. And it's at that very same moment were a couple of cabinet appointees nomination uh, confirmation hearings going on so we got that day later we heard about rex tillerson and we heard about the uh, another appointment then but uh, so that was given a day discussion but we're still getting page after page slide after slide of what still happened at that press conference that helped trump sort of calling the shots here well that's not really new i mean politics is all about that i mean FDR. I mean, you look at any any president, I- any leader will make the optics work in their favor so that things can happen, and you can. There's a sleight of hand. That's part of what politics is. There's a level to which the the level of you know to to coin the phrase from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, oh. mendacity going on right now, and that people are not ready to, as Peter was saying, challenge that. And I think, it's, I'm getting back to something that I said earlier, yes. what, what I think is interesting is, yes, the optics and everything you're talking about are, are clear and fairly obvious, especially to the three of us sitting in this room. What's more interesting to me is how long will it take until the optics fall off the wall? Until the mirrors exactly. sliding off there. I just want to remind anybody who's just tuned in now, you're listening to Ask a Leader at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. And we are all over the web with our little KUCI.org handles. And uh, my guests are Claire Trevor, School of the Arts Drama Director Gary Busby, and social psychologist Peter Ditto. We're talking about the whole theater of disorientation on Fifth Avenue, New York City, with the president-elect's show of shows and so i want to um with the it's a really big shoe (laughs) not yeah down the street from this where that shoe was Mm -hmm. so we have to also address the fact that in these optics are the always occurring appearing offspring of his adult offspring they were at the titan the tech titan meeting there they were at the press conference and the you know he gestured to them and they were there they're always there and we know that several of them are going to be in that in the west wing and so i and and while that's all going on there's this dirt story and so maybe peter could talk about that we don't know if it's is it commerce is it politics but we're we're getting word that the things that Ivanka is is sporting. Those are all 
licensed goods of hers that she's promoting while she's meeting with any of these distinguished guests that are coming into the tower. This, all, I mean, this is so disorienting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of issues we can talk about with Please. with the with the, well, time we got with, left. with the conflict of interest that I, yeah. I mean, obvious that are just obvious, and I don't. I mean, I guess to trying to stick with the display or the performance yeah. aspects of it, I think are so interesting his children are obviously these kind of attractive people he's it's kind of like a mattel toys they kind of preen like mattel straight out of the box without yeah it's kind of a i mean not to disparage them i don't know them i don't know whether they're good people or not but yeah they're 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 trotted out as kind of uh props it's part of his whole sort of apparently he has a sort of a uh interest I mean, in genetics and he thinks that, that 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 lots of things run in families and he thinks he's got good genes i think he thinks his family has good genes and those are the people who that you know he talks about he just it's just the other day in this interview he said well you know dealing i don't think it's something you're that you're born with you're got you're born with negotiating skills you either got it or you don't got it i think he thinks that about a lot of things and this sort of his whole family unit is is sort of part of that whole display of a we've we're we're just those kind of people right we're you know we're a superior super. creatures and it runs in my family and uh, why wouldn't i want to have those people with me uh and they're part of him and it's part of his whole which we haven't talked about sort of narcissistic uh personality which i think is the you know, mm. part of the problem with all this well and that, that but that gets sort of covered over with those sweeping uh, bombs of you know the superlatives that he, and adjectives <laughs> that he's using. You know you can't really. It doesn't look so sinister because I'm just so glad to hear that everything's going to be all right. I I, I don't know if I get to string those adjectives. Big, big, huge, tremendous things. Greatest job producer that God ever created. That was his. That was what he said at the conference. Beautiful event. Tremendous talent. Fantastic. Elegant day. Very, very special. And it just goes on and on. And so, you just, I guess it's. Sweeping, sweeping, and it's a sort of a, a little endorphin wash on the on the brain. Yeah. Well, and at what point, at what <sighs> point, does that have to actually amount to something? Because, you know, that's the issue in politics: is you can talk yourself a blue streak, but until something happens, and people's are people's lives are made better by the laws enacted. Then, you know, and that's what, why I'm wondering, how long will the charade last? It's so let's ask the, the psychologist. <laughs> do you have any idea how long or does this, this is a hard, well, here's what I, shift. you know, what all politics is about self-worth and polit, you know, politicians tell you, give you a story about the the country that, e- that either tells you, well, boy, I'm doing well, I'm a successful person, or I'm not. Donald Trump captured that, right? So there's a bunch of people who felt like they weren't respected, felt like they weren't doing well, and he's telling them, you're great, you're you're right, and those sort of egghead, uh, you know, liberal types, they're, they're really not right. The educated types, there's this big education schism, right? So that, mm-hmm. that's where things broke in this election. And that telling people that that they're good that their ideas are right that that piece those pc things you know that they're not they're telling you you can't say things that that media that's telling you things that you don't like that all that 
can do the same business that jobs can do. So one way to get self-worth is to get a job, make more money, do better for your family, bring home more. And that's the way, that's ultimately what it, where it comes from, right? But you can give people a lot of self-worth just by telling them, you know, you, you're right. Those people that you don't like are bad. And that'll last for a while. That sort of symbolic a gratification, while. I think. Well, I mean, let me just say okay. something that may, you might find controversial, but, but it, the same thing happens on the other side. So the Obama... Uh, presidency did very much that for liberals, right? It was like he, he endorsed, I mean, I'm a good liberal, he endorsed values that I like. Boy, here's this president that does these things. And, and the economy for many people, and that was true for lots of people, and the economy didn't come along for them. They weren't getting better jobs. Things weren't going. And it kept them sustained for a while, I think, even through another election, you know, the promise of Obama. But eventually it fades. And I, I assume the same thing would happen with Trump. It may last longer than you think, Right. But eventually it's going to come back to whether you whether people are getting jobs, whether the economy is getting better, whether there's sort of tangible benefits. But there's a longer lag than you would imagine. I well, think I, you, I th no, you're totally right. But the thing that is different, I think, well, we don't know about the Trump presidency, but you don't. in the Obama presidency, part of the issue was the absolute thwarting at every opportunity by the Congress to everything that he tried to do. And ultimately. So that was a different dynamic. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, he was he tried with a stimulus package and all of that stuff. But at every turn, the things that he was not given the sort of sweeping latitude that any other president in that kind of financial situation where the country was in 2008, 2009, might have been given precisely because of the fact that it was decided by the Republican minority that they were going to try and make him a one-party president or one a one-term one president. president. And so, and, and I think Peter's absolutely right. The difference is there was actual stuff trying to be put forth. The Affordable Care Act, with all of its faults, is an attempt at that. The stimulus package was an attempt at that. All of those varieties of things have been trying, have been trying to work. And I'm not saying that I, I, you know, I, I think Obama is going to go down as a very good president, but I, but I also think he miscalculated a lot and an effort to play fair. And that's, th that's the sort of the difference, you know, you talked about it at the very, very beginning that there's the, the, you can gain leadership by knowing stuff and being good at stuff and you can gain leadership by being dominant. And you have literally back to back these right. two, those, for those forms. So I wanted to have this audacious kind of prospect for you to consider as we wind it down is that the chief strategist Steve Bannon's expressed an interest in being the Lenny Riefenstahl of the Trump administration. So it's, those are his words. They're, we're not putting any words in Steve Bannon's mouth, good for, this forbid. So I'd like for you to, when we talk about optics, though that's a heck of a lot of optics. I <laughs> think. I mean, I, I and but then and for everybody to know, Lenny Riefenstahl was the cinematographer for the Third Reich. Yeah, and so if anybody remembers in our in those movie loops that we saw when we were kids in school, those are all her films showing the the Munich Nazi uh, rallies that the Fuhrer led. And so this is what Stephen Bannon is calling up for us. Yeah, and I think that's completely um, consonant with what. It's that whole idea of appealing to a people 
who have felt disenfranchised as more people have been allowed and invited to the table. It's the polar opposite of what we are espousing here at the university, which is that diversity makes us better. And, and what you kind of were saying about, about uh, people being allowed to, you're great, you're wonderful, all that stuff, it also means that implicit in that is everybody who doesn't look like you, doesn't sound like you, doesn't have skin like you, is the problem. And that's where we're, I think that's going to be the biggest piece that heads us into the, the scary fascist direction that you were talking about earlier. Okay, on that note. Yes, Peter, one more thing? Um, yeah, I, so I, that's what's so scary about this is there's this performance aspect in Bannon, people who are, uh, who are focused on trying to present this, this image, and it's all tied up with Trump's psychology, his own yeah. need for self-aggrandizement, and they just feed that. And I mean, sometimes they're trailing. Sometimes he's out there yeah. trying to sustain his self-esteem, and they're, they're patching it up afterwards. But it's a, it's a dangerous com combination. There's a sense in which almost I feel like he, Trump's president-elect Trump is being played not just by per potentially the Russians, but by his own oh, absolutely. staff. Right, and, yeah. I mean, using his own weaknesses as Very a way shiny of, object uh, there. Of, yeah. of presenting yeah. this dominant image. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate the chance to have this interdisciplinary, rich discussion of what I think are some, some real looming concerns that I want for people to take away from today and prepare, steal themselves for what's about to be rolling out. And we all have a role, folks, in being the adjusting our moral compass, wearing that wherever we go, and we all join together in mm -hmm. calling this. So I want to thank Gary Busby, Claire Trevor School of the Arts Chair of the Drama Department, coming in, and Peter Ditto, Psychology Social Behavior, Social Psychologist, coming in here from Social Ecology. I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks. Next week, we'll hear from Reverend Mark Whitlock of Christ Our Redeemer, wonderful program last Sunday, which we'll reprise on this show next week. Then my second guest will be congressional member from the 45th District, Mimi Walters. So much policy, so little time. Talk with you next week. Thanks for listening.